there was a certain subject that was brought up to me. In this particular situation, the subject was one that had been brought up on several other occasions before, over a period of maybe a couple of years. And then there was a certain point in that two-year period where the person said, my, I see that. I've got a revelation. My eyes are totally open. Now I've grasped it, and I'm ready to go and do something with that. And then a little bit later, talking with that person, they went right back and talked like they talked at the beginning of the two years, like there had been no intervening revelation, no intervening understanding, no intervening grasp of reality, whatever. They simply went back to where they were before. Now, this is not a new thing to me. I've seen this on many different occasions, where people grasp a truth. It's in, they're instructed from the Word of God, very clear teaching from God's Word, not some uh, very difficult thing to understand, but something very simple, very clear. They have a great deal of time grasping it, and suddenly they grasp it, and then a little bit later it's like closes back over, some veil closes over their eyes, and then they go back to some prior time. And they may come out of that again, or they may never come out of that, whatever the case will be. And I've seen some never come out of that. They go back to an old way again, a darkness settles in on them, and they do not, in fact, ever come out of that. So although you can, and we'll show you that from Scripture, we get to it today. Now, we have been discussing here dreams and the fulfilling of those dreams. There are many people in this church that want to see their dreams fulfilled. Some will see their dreams fulfilled. It would be my desire that all of you would see your dreams fulfilled. So that the things you have wanted to do in your lifetime, those inner things that are deep down inside of you, would in fact be fulfilled in every detail, and you would see that in your own lifetime. Not pass it on and say, well, I believe somewhere, somehow it will be done. But it will be done according to the dream that you have. And yet I know, experientially, that many people will never see their dreams fulfilled. And they will never see them fulfilled because of some things that I'm going to bring today. Now, my prayer this morning is that each of you will hear these things in maybe a way you've not heard them before. Because, see, dreams cannot be fulfilled like you say, I want my dream fulfilled, will this church fulfill it? The church cannot fulfill your dream. Only you can fulfill your dream. And the church, you realize, is people. It's not like a building or an institution uh, or a headquarters or an office. That's not the church. The church is simply people. Here we are. Church ecclesia means called out ones. So we've been called out of darkness into his marvelous light, and we've been assembled together as a body of people. This is the church, this body of people. Now, we can help one another to the extent that our gifts are needed by each other. Some of us could not help each other in a specific dream, could not help each other at all in that particular dream, because that would not accept to pray for that person, the general help we can give to each other. But if we wish to see dreams fulfilled, then certain things must take place inside of us. We must become a different person than we were. See, if that were not so, the dream would already be fulfilled, and we'd be moving on to something else. But when we find ourselves frustrated and our dreams unfulfilled, now, not a dream that yet must take time and we see we're moving toward it in the proper set of steps. That's not what I'm talking about. But a dream that we believe should be fulfilled now and we are not seeing it fulfilled, 
and really, for the most part, have little hope that it ever will be fulfilled. See, we say, oh, it isn't going to happen, it isn't going to work out, it isn't going to... All right. Now, I'd like to speak something this morning that I think can be a... I would call it like a revelation, but theologically, it really should be called an illumination. I hope I can open something up from the Word of God that you see how God deals with his people and with all people. And if you can grasp that, then you will make moves that are necessary to flow into that stream of revelation or illumination. And that's where you have to be. Because if any dream is going to be fulfilled, it will be fulfilled by you moving into an illuminated place in Christ. And then from that place, understanding what to do and how to do it, and then doing it. Now, after the meeting today, because I know some of you are not quite there, I still want to do that part which I am able to do as much as I can do it, and so do some of the other elders, well, all of them do for that matter, that there are some dreams that we can implement, and I think you're closer to it than you need be, you just lack confidence in doing it. Now, we have received a number of people who, in the compassionate ministry area, now that'd be like ministry to uh, women that are being abused by their husbands, or children that are being abused, or perhaps orphans, or the aged, or the poor, that we can meet the need of those people. And I want those who are interested in that aspect of ministry to meet me after the service this morning. And I will arrange them to have a meeting at a later date, right after I get back from Guatemala, be about 10 days away, that we will sit down and begin implementing that dream. And then we'll have the elders help. But as soon as I can, I want to transfer that dream to you. So it's not something I'm doing. I know how to do it, but I don't want to do it. I want you to do it because it's your dream. See, if you put it down, I want to do this, I see this, then I want you to be the leaders in it. I want you to have the faith. I want you to have the reward. I want you to have the blessing. But those dreams are hindered because we don't understand sometimes God's ways of dealing. Now, these ways of dealings have been explained, but it's almost like if you don't pursue it and press into it, you can lose it and go back to an earlier time when your mind is less perceptive. All right, now I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Proverbs. Now, some time ago... I preach the message on the dream-fulfilling personality. I mean, that those visions, those desires that we feel are of God, that we feel we should see in our lives, and which, in fact, we have not seen. All right. So, first of all, I'm going to deal with a rather puzzling set of Scriptures. And it's puzzling because when you ask yourself the question, I've asked myself this question different times, I don't have an exact answer, but I know how to implement the thing, so I don't need the answer. It just makes me think in a certain way, and I want you to think in that particular way. All right. Turn with me, please, to Proverbs, the first chapter. First Proverbs. And here is the beginning of this instruction to this young man. Now, we're going to pray and ask God to give us illumination, give me and give you, so we can understand this together. Father... In the name of our Lord Jesus, I pray that you do give us that illumination, that revelation of the Spirit, that the eyes of our understanding be opened, Lord, to understand what you're saying in your Word and how you work the channels along which you flow, O Lord. Now grant to us, Lord, understanding, and grant to us not just understanding of the moment, 
but understanding that we can go home and then begin to implement these things in our lives. Husbands, wives, children, whole families, single people. Put these truths, realities, this revelation from your heart into operation in our place. We ask these things, Father, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Now here in the first verse... It tells us where these Proverbs come from. They're the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. They're probably not his because they, some of them can be found earlier, so he gathered them together in one place is probably the intent here. But the purpose of them is clear. Whether he gathered them together or he came up with them by revelation, the purpose is clear to know wisdom and instruction. Now, have you ever found yourself making a dumb move that got you into serious trouble. I made this move and, oh, it cost me money. I made this move and it cost me this friend. Or I made this move and, oh, it slowed me up for... And I made this move and I... Wisdom is lacking in those areas. Now, it may mean or it may not mean you'll get to the place where you never make a mistake. I'm not at all sure about that. In the Lord, it could be that way. If a person were walking in humility, seeking God at all times for wisdom so that he might always be a glory to God and bring glory to God, then I perfectly well conceive in my mind that a person could walk without making any kind of real error. But the important thing is to make no fatal errors, to make no dangerous errors that stop and throw us back and hurl us back four or five or ten years, so that instead of us moving directly toward our goal, we're cast backward and we have to build up and start all over again. So the purpose of these Proverbs, then, and other scriptures that I'll read, but this is not the point, I'm just trying to get this in your mind, to know wisdom and instruction, to discern sayings of understanding. Now, notice this word, and this begins to be the, the idea here, to discern the sayings of understanding. In other words, here's a wise man, he says something that is wise. In other words, this is powerful, something he puts out. But it says the purpose of the Proverbs is to help that young man discern that. Ferret it out. Know what it means. Understand it. Otherwise, he hears it and says, Oh, wow, Nego, man. See, or something like that. And out of his head, and then, what do you think about something? And he's right back where he was. And here was something laid right before him. There was a pearl of great price, a treasure of great value. And because he could not discern the wisdom of it, they... And he's off doing something else. All right. To receive instruction in wise behavior. In other words, all behavior is not wise. Sometimes behavior is shrewd, clever, smart, dumb. But the Bible talks about wise behavior. The Bible speaks about David said he behaved himself wisely. So right in the middle of an atmosphere where the king sought to kill him, The king sought to discredit him, King Saul. The king sought to ruin him because he saw who he was in God. He actually, in the middle of that, could sit down and play his harp for Saul. He could minister to Jonathan. He could lead the armies out and lead them back again. He in all ways behaved himself wisely so that his men stayed with him when it looked like he was surely lost. And when he came to the throne... He quickly established his kingdom everywhere because of wise behavior. He was not a foolish man. One great mistake that he made. 
And that was when he began to leave off God. He got too big for himself, and God brought him back down again. To receive instruction of wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity. To give prudence to the naive, the simple. Baby is simple. Child is simple. Hopefully he knows more than a baby. And then a young man, hopefully he knows more than a child. An adult person knows more than a young man. See, that should be a progress in life toward wise behavior, understanding of life, knowing how life works, to give prudence to the naive. So we are no longer simple. Now, we don't want to become sophisticated. There are a lot of people sophisticated because they've messed around with all kinds of evil. And they're sophisticated. We like the sophisticated pleasures of life. Oh, we can't, uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, go out on a picnic. I have to spend two, three hundred dollars to have a good time anymore. What insanity. See, they become sophisticated, but they become wise to no longer be simple, to give prudence to the naive. To the youth, knowledge, and discretion, a wise man will hear and increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. Now, notice what it says. A may, wise man, now he's coming to some place of understanding here, so it says a wise man will hear and increase learning. He really has grasped the principle of the New Testament where it says that a person should be slow to speak, swift to hear, slow to wrath. Now, in this world in which we live, most people are quick to speak, very difficult to hear, and quick to become angry. The slightest thing go wrong, and they're just telling people off right and left. Instead of being swift to hear, slow to speak, very slow to anger. See, now are those qualities that we are working in our lives? Now, you cannot master wisdom if you are a man fast to anger. Man, when somebody touched me, I just blow up. I can. If that's your trait, you will never attain unto wise counsels. Never. You must work on that quality of being slow to anger. Slow to speak, swift to hear. Because the wise man is hearing and increasing in learning. A man of understanding, now it goes another step. It says a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. He will literally seek out wise men and women to surround himself with. Are these wise men? Are these wise women that I know and I operate with? Or are my bosom companions and bosom buddies just lightheaded? Not one thought among all of them. Is that who I have for my counselors? Is that who I have for my friends? Is this who I choose to be with? Well, then why do I choose to be with people like that? Because in truth, I am like that. And that's the only kind of interaction I want with just light. Blah, 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 blah. No wise man who can say... Well, the Word of God says on this subject, or this is a wise answer, or this is a proper response to that, or this is a, say, that's a wise counsel. See, most of us do not go about deliberately acquiring wise counselors. We don't do that. That's why many times I say to a person, have you gone to the elders? Have you gone to those who are successful in this area? Have you, oh, no, I went to this person. Well, what do they know about that particular? I was asking a person the other day. Somebody said to me, well, that's the way the big boys do it. I said, well, how many big boys do you know? 
Would you name some of the big boys that you know? Since you know about the big boys, this is the way they do it. And how much have you operated in the level of the big boys? Well, I, I just heard that's the way the big boys. That's right. See, seek out wise counsel. Don't be quick to spurt knowledge that is no knowledge at all. Okay. Now, the next part is the part I wish you to pay attention to, though, because to me it's puzzling, see, in a sense. Even though I see this is right and I can operate within the context of it, it still is puzzling to me. To understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and their riddles. Now, here's my question. Why do the wise speak in riddles, proverbs, and figures? Now, let me repeat that. Why do the wise speak in proverbs, riddles, and figures? Why do not the wise simply say, in very simple words, there it is. And we're say, oh, thank you, now I'm wise too and I know what to do. No, what the scripture is saying here, that these proverbs are deliberately given to God's people so that they may have the ability to unknot the enigmas or puzzles. They may have the ability to discern the riddle and know the answer, but to all others it remains a mystery. To the wise, they see through it and say, thank you. To those that are not wise, they say, how puzzling, I can't do it, it's totally twisted, the thing makes no sense to me at all, why doesn't the guy say something I can understand? Now what is this amazing puzzle that God, who desires all men to be saved, all men to be wise, all men to be knowledgeable, yet this God speaks about wise men putting out things in terms of puzzles and riddles. All right. Now, how many of you understand that question? Let me see your hand if you understand. You understand it? Okay, you understand the question. The question is, why does God put things in puzzles? Or wise men? But really God, too, because he's dealing through those wise men. All right. Now, I'd like us to take a look at verse 7. Now, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. I want to deal with this proverb, and then I'll come back to that question again. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge... Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now, what is there about the heart of some men and women that they despise wisdom and instruction? You say, well, here's a wise thing. I don't want to hear that. I've heard that. I don't want it. Now, it isn't just that fools don't hear it. They actually despise it. See, it's like their hearts say, don't put that in my house. I don't want to hear it. See? All right. Fools despise wisdom and instruction, but the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Now, I know many of us have knowledge. We got it in school. We get it in the streets. We get it in just living. But I want to tell you the kind of knowledge God is talking about only comes as we have the fear of the Lord. That's the beginning of knowledge. See, so all of this knowledge you're saying that you have, your street smarts and your school smarts and your what you've observed in life, all that you've grown smart, that's no wisdom at all, and that's no knowledge at all. It is only when you truly begin to fear God that you begin to understand knowledge. Now see, if we're going to accomplish for God what we feel is in our heart, then I have to have a kind of knowledge to do that, because Satan is warring against me to keep me from doing that. All the forces of darkness are, stop him, do not let him do that, do not let him accomplish that. Well, I want to tell you that I can't outsmart the devil by street smarts, because street smarts are his smarts, and he's the one to put them there, and he knows more about that than I'll ever know about that. 
But I want to say to you, there is a kind of knowledge which can be given to us, an inner knowledge from the heart of God that will allow you to defeat the devil on every possible occasion if you know that knowledge. I think we'll drop from here down to verse 20. Wisdom shouts in the street. She lifts her voice in the square. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the gates of the city, she utters her sayings. How long, O naive ones, will you love simplicity? And scoffers delight themselves in scoffing, and fools hate knowledge. Turn you to my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit on you. See, turn to my reproof. In other words, let me correct you, the Lord is saying. Let me give you instruction. Different kind of instruction, not what you've learned out here. And the fact that you can get along well in the world tells you nothing about really being able to accomplish for the Lord Jesus Christ. That takes a different kind of knowledge altogether. Right. Because I call and you refused, I stretched out my hand and no one paid attention, and you neglected all my counsel and did not want my reproof, I will even laugh at your calamity. Now, I've seen some puzzling things happen to me when Christians enter into times of calamity. I know myself when I cry out to God for deliverance, God brings deliverance sooner or later. But I've seen some Christians just go down to ruin and never come up out of it again. And I have pondered this thing and say, why? But I'm coming to a conclusion that I think when we stand at that day and the day when all the secrets of the hearts of men will be revealed, we'll find a good deal more of the fact that those people did not listen to the reproof of the Lord. They had their own ways. They did it the way they wanted to do it, and no one could tell them differently. They did not hear and the result is they went down to ruin. And then God says, I will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your dread comes, when your dread comes like a storm, and your calamity comes on like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come on you. Then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they shall not find me, because that they hated knowledge. Now, what kind of knowledge? The knowledge that comes as a result of the fear of the Lord. See, that's the beginning of knowledge. All of us have knowledge. You have knowledge of how to do this and knowledge of that and some of it I use for good purposes and hopefully not too much anymore for evil or wrong purposes. But there is like another kind of knowledge says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of that kind of knowledge. Now it isn't the end of it. It has to be, you have to understand the fear of the Lord and we'll see how that comes about. They would not accept my counsel. There's the despising of the counsel again. They spurned all my reproof. So they shall eat of the fruit of their own way and be satiated with their own devices. For the waywardness of the naive. Now notice again, this is the puzzling part. See, I, I, I look at some people that I've seen fail in life, and they were smart. I mean, if you'd have given them an IQ, I know they would have been way up there. And not only that, some of them were educated. And they were like they had everything going for them. And yet the end of it was ruin. Because in the things that mattered, they were simple. They did not know the real knowledge that they had to know in order to carry out what God wanted in their lives. See, now knowledge, they had it plenty. It was the wrong kind of knowledge. Now notice what this says here. It says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. In other words, that's where we stop being simple and we begin this process of growing in the Lord Jesus Christ. The waywardness of the naive shall kill them and the complacency of fools shall destroy them. But he who listens to me shall live securely and shall be at ease 
from the dread of evil. All right, now, here we see evil coming. We see maybe a tremendous financial collapse coming, which I see it is coming. And others of us, I think, are beginning to see it more and more clearly now as all kinds of things begin to come into focus that are taking place. But the Bible says the man that has the kind of knowledge that I'm talking about, he who listens to me shall live securely. He shall be at ease from the dread of evil. In other words, there shall be a certainty to his life, a steadiness to his steps. He shall not fall by the wayside. Now, so I've asked some questions here. Why puzzles and riddles? What does it mean to understand a proverb? Like I read these proverbs, I say, I understand those. They're clear to me. You know, it says here, uh, uh, so and so and so and so. That's very clear. No, sir. It says you need the ability to understand a proverb. It's not just, I read it, I got it. No, we don't. There's like, oh God, give me understanding of the meaning of that proverb. Show me how to apply that to life. Give me a grasp of the reality of your knowledge that is different from the knowledge of the world. All right, now, turn with me, please, to Matthew 13, 1 to 10. Now, here's an interesting aspect of that puzzle, same puzzle. Why puzzles and riddles? Why not just simple answers here? Proverbs 13. And I'm going to start with verse 1. On that day Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea. And great multitudes gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole multitude was standing on the beach. And he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow. Now, in my early Christian experience, I always heard this as an explanation for this, though it says very clearly that's not it. The explanation of a parable was that Jesus spoke in simple stories that made it easy to understand. And so by giving simple illustrations, he was trying to help these people. They weren't very literate. They weren't very, they didn't have a great grasp of much knowledge outside of their little provincial ideas. And Jesus had to make it very simple for them, so he broke it down to very simple stories. Now you're going to see in the scripture, that's not the purpose of a parable at all. A purpose of a parable is to hide except for those who are inside, in the sense that they have their hearts ready to hear and they can hear, all right? He spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow. This is verse 3. And as he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road, and birds came and devoured them. Others fell on rocky places where they did not have much soil. Immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. And when the sun had risen, they were scorched because they had no root, they withered away. All right, so now we see two seeds. One fell on the hard ground. The birds took it away, so it did not do what it was supposed to do. The second fell on rocky ground. It immediately sprung up, but as soon as the sun hit it, the plant withered, and it did not do what it was supposed to do. In other words, come to harvest, because harvest is the only thing that counts. Others fell among thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. They didn't do what they were supposed to do. It was growing. It looked pretty good, but right along with thorns and weeds, and then finally took the life out of it, and it never came to harvest. And others fell on good soil and yielded a crop. Good soil. Some a hundred, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, he who has ears, let him hear. Well, they all had ears. I doubt if you'd have gone out there and found too many of them without ears. See, what is he talking about? You have ears? You have ears. And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? He answered and said to them, To you... 
It has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. For whoever has, and here's this, I think, a very fearful kind of a statement here. When you look on verse 11, what is just said to you, it's been granted to them, it has not been granted. And we're going to go back, why? Why this deliberate puzzlement here? For whoever has, to him shall more be given. Now, this seems like a totally unfair thing. And in most people's minds that look at it, they say, man, he has that, or they have this, or they, why don't they do this for me, and why don't they? To him that has shall more be given, and he shall have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Now, do you hear that? Does that sound fair to you? does not sound fair to me. It does not sound fair to me until I realize that people have made deliberate choices about God's wisdom and knowledge. And the choice is, I don't want to hear that wisdom, and I don't want to hear that knowledge, and I don't want to hear that reproof, and I'm not going to listen to that counsel, and I'm not going to acquire wise counsel, I'm not going to be in the... See, they've made deliberate choices, and those deliberate choices keep blinding the mind to the realities that God would have for them. That's why it says, to him that hath shall more be given, he shall have an abundance. To him that hath not, even that which he hath shall be taken away. All right, now that's the principle of God. Therefore I speak to them in parables. See, these people, these Israelite people that were there, many of them had made very deliberate choices and they would prove those choices later on when it would come time. They would come in, oh, this is the Messiah, and here we, we lay down our garlands before him, we praise him, and so forth and so on. And then the kingdom didn't immediately appear, immediately appear. They're saying, this man is the one who is the friend of Caesar, and here's some money, and I want you to start yelling, crucify him. And then pretty soon these same people who were with him, who were watching his miracles, his signs and wonders, pretty soon they were shouting out, crucify, crucify, crucify. See, they were not totally with him. But these disciples, though they were weak and fearful, and they ran, and yet they stood there like broken men. Oh, Lord, what can we do? See, their hearts were knit to him. All right. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because while seeing they do not see, and while hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. They hear, they don't hear. They see, they don't see, nor do they understand, because they have not set themselves in a right way toward that thing that God has spoken for them. All right. Now, and in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, you will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull. With their ears they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes, lest they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their heart, and turn again and I should heal them. Now see, as soon as a man turns, or a woman turns, at that moment, as soon as the person says, Lord, I'm tired of living like a fool. I'm tired of living like a simpleton. I'm tired of living without wise counsel. I'm tired of living without your... I want to accomplish for you. Now here I am, Lord. Begin teaching me. I'm going to seek out good counsel. I'm going to seek out wise men. I'm going to seek out wise women. I'm going to pursue that. And I'm going to lay this aside here. I'll show you more scriptures about the danger of bad company. Believe me, bad company is ruinous. The Bible makes that very clear. It says, bad company corrupts good morals. And many of us, our company is bad, bad, bad company. Okay. 
But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly I say unto you that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see what you see and did not see it, and hear what you hear and did not hear. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it. Now remember what makes it so he doesn't understand it? The ground is hard. It is not ground that has been plowed up, ground that the rain has been worked into. It's ground that is hard. It's not done here. So the seed hits it and just lays there. And pretty soon birds pick it up. When anyone hears the word of the king does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one in whom the seed was sown beside the road. Right now he's giving us an understanding. It goes back to Proverbs, doesn't it? See, the man who begins to understand wisdom is the one who says, Oh, I want to know that. I'm going to listen. I want to know what God says. I want to follow it as a reality. I want this knowledge. I want the fear of God. I want... He's got a kind of an attitude, and I'll show this attitude, how it deals with that attitude a little bit later on here if we have time this morning. And the one on whom the seed was sown on the rocky places is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, because his life is filled with a bunch of hard places. Now, he's got a little softness there, but a lot of hardness there. So that he can weep maybe over the word of the Lord occasionally. Oh, yeah, I see that's really right. But pretty soon... That hardness is emerging again. Uh, you can't do this to me, and I'll show you, and I won't take this, and nobody can push me. And I See, there's hardness there along with a little plowing. So the result is, when the seed is sown, the roots come, but they can't get anywhere. The rock layers are, so the root can just kind of pile up underneath there, and it has no ability to go down and really get to the water of the Word. And pretty soon that thing springs up and it says, with joy. So sometimes you say, oh, folks, i tell you what the Word of God says. The Word of God says God wants you to prosper. That is, He wants you to materially prosper. God wants you to be in health. That is, physically prosper. God wants you spiritually blessed. He wants you... Peace. Oh, hallelujah, wasn't that wonderful? Praise God. But it isn't going to last. It isn't going to last because they're going to apply that Word of God in some way. Oh, wow, man, I, I'm going to have this. And the next day something comes along and that it touches one of those areas of their life. And it says as soon as the sun hits it, a little persecution, a little tribulation because of the Word, they just wither right up. They oh, it didn't work. And, I, and the hardness takes over. The roots rot. The plant dies. I've seen this plenty of time. I remember one time years ago, I said to a particular person, she'd been sick for years, very sick. Actually, I don't know if she is sick or not. I don't think she was, but maybe she was. And I said, there, God wants to heal you. Oh, no, no, I, 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 just, I just feel I'm going to be sick all of my life, all of my life. So I began to minister her the word of God. And one day she said, I got it, I got it. And she got up out of bed, came to church, began to play the piano and just with young people and so forth and so on. And man, there was praising the Lord and so forth. But see, after a little bit of time, what had happened in her sick life She had come to a place where she could control the family through her sickness. And that was her method of controlling. Instead of interacting in a healthy, normal, mature way, her method of doing was, Oh, oh, my my heart, my stomach. Oh, oh. And then, oh, what is it? Oh, we don't want you to die. Oh, oh, it's your your, your thing. Oh, I'll get it for you. I'll get it for you. Oh, oh, I'm feeling better. See, and she would utilize this method. And finally, she... And here were the people just praising the Lord for, and that's wonderful, sister, go on, you're just doing so forth, and it's just great, and so forth. 
but then pretty soon, like normal life is, everybody isn't running around you every time they see you. You know, I think it would be weird if the minute I come in church, all you people come up around me. Oh, Jim, you're a wonderful preacher of the gospel. Oh, you're a wonderful brother. We love you. Oh, you're a terrific guy. And you're like, hey, get away. Something's wrong here, see. On occasion, that should be done. In other words, say, hey, I was just thinking about your day, and I, this is what I think. I thank you for this, and praise God. That's, but there has to be periods of time when it's kind of like it isn't like that. See, but then it got like that, and then she didn't have the attention got by the sickness or the attention got by getting well. So guess what happened? One day I got a call. My wife's in bed again. She never got by that bed again, except barely just the, the end of it. See? Now, that wisdom that people acquire in the world is not the wisdom that God wants us to have for himself. She received the word with joy. But as soon as she didn't get what she wanted, it withered right up and it died. All right. Third parable. And the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns, who are they? This is the man who hears the word and the worry of the world. Oh, my things of the world, you just don't know what's in this world. Instead of God, you are my victory. The worry of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and Mark says, other things entering in, choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And the one on whom the seed was sown on the good ground is the man who hears the word and... Are you reading it? What does it say? Understands it. It says, oh, that's how it is. Not like this, 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 and this, my idea... That's how it is. I'll do that. And I will keep on doing it, and I will continue doing it until I have a harvest. That's the man. Now, it says, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, and indeed bears fruit. The only one who did what the seed was supposed to do, and brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirtyfold. Now, if you'll turn with me to Hebrews, the fifth chapter, and there are many others that bring the same thing to bear, and I'll maybe bring some of these to you, I don't know. But I just want to bring it from the Israelitish point of view, and then I want to bring it from the Christian point of view. Now, Hebrews, the fifth chapter. And this is verses, uh, we'll start with verse 7. He's dealing here with the subject of Melchizedek, which he considers a very important subject for Christians to understand. So we don't get tied up with legalism. We understand where our priesthood is established priesthood after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, when he offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to him who was able to save him from death and who was heard because of his piety. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. Now again, this is a very difficult thing for many Christians to ever grasp, and I say you need to grasp it, but many of us are set that we will not suffer. We do not intend to bear any pain. And we'll do everything in our power to avoid it as an absolute thing. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. So there was a suffering that he had to go through which produced that kind of piety. And having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation. Being designated by God as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek, Concerning him, now here's the thing that I want you to listen to carefully. He's talking to the Hebrew Christians, certainly born again, certainly filled with the Spirit, certainly saved. 
Concerning him we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. Now he's saying, I can explain it just as simply as possible. And now here I'm going back to Proverbs. Why a puzzle? Why an enigma? Why a mystery? Why do wise men speak in mysteries? Why do wise men speak in things that seem not to be able to be understood? He says, concerning him we have much to say and is hard to explain since you are dull of hearing. In other words, I've explained it simply enough. You don't hear it. Your hearing has become dull. These are Christians, however. These are not. We will deal with the, with the, the Israelites and see the same thing came upon them. And then we'll see one of Paul's prayers that I'll read to it. And that ought to be our prayer continually. For though by this time you ought to be teachers... You have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. Now, notice what he says here. He said, you came like to some point. Now you became dull of hearing. Notice what he said. You have come to need milk and not solid food. In other words, you're eating some solid food and then you... Go back to milk. Say, I don't want to hear this anymore. I just want to hear this. That's what he says, going on from the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection if God permit. In other words, push on to that powerful reality in Christ so that you'll know the knowledge of God and be able to carry out what he told us to do on this earth. Not, not our little concept, oh, I want to do this thing here and I want to do this. We've come back from some powerful place to some lesser place. And now would like only need milk again. I cannot understand. I don't get that. That doesn't make sense to me. That's, that seems weird. I don't want to hear that. I don't like that. I see that type of thing. But solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. By practice, have learned to say, that's evil. Oh, no, look at it. See this, this? It's evil. I don't care what kind of a sugar coat you put on it, and I don't care how you paint it white, and I don't care how much you say this is Christian activity. I'm going to tell you that's evil, and the end it will destroy your life if you continue it. Their senses are exercised to discern good and evil. All right. Now, it says here that people had become dull of hearing. You can go back to being like a babe, and that we need to have our senses trained. Now, turn to Ephesians 1. Remarkable scripture there again. See, showing this continual work that Paul had to do. Ephesians, the first chapter. And we're going to start at verse 16 here. Or 15, rather. For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you. All right, now here again, same thing. See, they're born again. They're Christians. They're filled with the Spirit. And your love for all the saints do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. Now here's his prayer. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom. All right, he's saying, how, you think you got it all together? And now you know how to do everything, do you? Well, you do not. Okay? Now, he said, I'm praying that God gives you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. In other words, that your dull ears stop being dull, your dim eyes stop being dim, your understanding opens up, and you see something you've never seen before, you understand something you've never understood before. You hear it, you see it, you perceive it, not see it. You perceive it. 
you grasp the meaning of it and say, oh, that's how it is in God. And then you lay aside all of your earthly knowledge and you pursue God's ways. All right. He prays that the eyes of their heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling. You say, well, certainly a saint knows what the hope is. Well, we're going to heaven. Well, now, I'm sure those folks know they were going to heaven. He was trying to say that you may know what the hope of your calling is. You've been called to do something, to be something, to accomplish something, to manifest something. And that you may know what that is. And you may grasp it. And you may move toward it with certainty. See, without that, we just, well, I'm going to heaven. I'm, I'm just doing here and I'm doing my thing and that's all I'm doing. I do this and I do that. Instead of saying, I want to know the fullness of what God has for me, and I want to pursue it, and I want to see it manifested. All right. You may know what is the hope of this calling in the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. He has an inheritance in us, vested himself in us. And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might. He's saying, do you realize how great God's power and might are toward you? See, most saying, well, no, I don't know. The devil's awful strong. Man, I don't ever see God do much. And I, oh, Paul says, open their eyes, God, that they may perceive it. See, the knowledge of God. Which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand. Don't think Satan wasn't doing all in his power to keep him in that tomb. He couldn't do it. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion in every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Put all things subjection under his feet, and so forth and so on. Over here in Ephesians, the third chapter, same verse 16, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, here's talking again to Christians. But he's saying, I want a new measure of Christ dwelling in you. Not just, well, yeah, I'm a Christian. Or, yeah, I speak in tongues. But some massive outpouring of Christ in our spirits. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may now, by this massive outpouring of His Spirit, you may be able to comprehend with all the saints. It just isn't for one, it's for everyone if they would only grasp it. But then in that other verse he says, some became dull of hearing, went back to acting like babes again. We need wisdom. We need knowledge. We need understanding. And we need it in the fear of God. Somebody could give us knowledge without that, and it'd be useless to us. What does God reveal in the Scriptures about this idea? Now turn with me back to Proverbs chapter 2 and verse 1. Tells how to get that, that we're looking for. And without that, nothing much will ever be done in this life. It isn't done by massive amounts of money, though money is a part of what needs to be there to do it, but it's not done merely by that. You have all the money in the world and still not do it. Proverbs 2 Verses 1 to 11. My son, if you will receive my sayings and treasure, attitude will be the whole thing we're going to be dealing with here now, and treasure my commandments within you. Oh, yeah, I've heard that thing. Despise it. Oh, man, don't give me that. I've heard that since I've been a Christian. Treasure my commandments. Say, thank God that I got to hear it again. That brings it to my mind. Hallelujah. And treasure it. You will receive my sayings and treasure my commandments within you. Make your ear attentive to wisdom. Incline your heart to understanding. In other words, saying, God, I want wisdom. God, I want understanding. I want to know you. 
I want to know your truth. I want to walk in that truth. For if you cry for discernment, now you've got to cry for it. See, we talk about discerning good and evil. How do you discern good and evil? You don't discern good and evil by coming to a Bible study. That's part of it. You should hear the Word of God. But you come to a place of discernment by crying out for discernment. Say, oh, mighty God, grant that I will have discernment between good and evil. And that my spirit, my soul, my mind, my being will be practiced that I may be able to discern between good and evil. See, there's a crying out process that has to take place there. Without that, never discern it. He isn't taught like, now this is evil and this is good. You know, I don't smoke, I don't chew, I don't go with girls who do all bad. Go to church, put money in your offering plate, pray three times a day, read the Bible, all good. The person says, okay, bad. Don't smoke, don't drink, don't chew, don't go with girls who do bad. Da, 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 good. No understanding there at all. It's not understanding. First time the guy gets tempted with a good hot something hit him one way or the other, he's back to doing whatever he did in the world. We've seen that time and time again. Man, I just went down to see my friend, man, I really blew it. I went right back to drink it again. Oh, man, I went down there, and man, I went out with this girl, and oh, man, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. no understanding at all. He was told, don't do that. No discernment. No understanding. It must take a crying out, oh, God, give me discernment. So when something is appearing, you say, flee, you fool us. I'm getting out of here now. See, he understands how to move. If you cry for discernment, lift up your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver, how much do you seek after gold or silver? See? How hard do you work to make a living? How much do you think about? Do you cry out for discernment that way? Do you cry out for understanding that way? See, if not, you will not have it. See, that's the attitude that must be there. See? It must be at least as hard, and you'll find it must be harder. Search for her as for hidden treasures. Ah, I want to tell you something. We've got a map, and uh, we found out there's a treasure of gold right on this lot next to us. Down six feet someplace, we don't know where. It's just on the lot. The map got blurred at that point. We don't know the exact coordinates. Uh, but that treasure worth $10 million, and it's only down six feet. Folks, as soon as church has ended, I wonder how many volunteers I could have to help dig up that treasure. You get 50%. Now, what, op- what operation would you think would take place right after church? How many volunteers? He said, not me. I have to go home and look at uh, the football game. Well, not me. I have to take a ride this afternoon. Not me. I... We're there, brother. See? But do we search for wisdom that way? Would that stir us up? Six feet down, somewhere there. If you dig it up six feet down, you'll find wisdom. How many volunteers? Don't know. Then you will discern, see, if that's your attitude, if that's your attitude, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. See, now, without that attitude, you will never understand the fear of the Lord. You will never discern it. You will never know it. And you will never discover the knowledge of God. It can be taught. It can be given. And all it will be is a proverb. It'll be a riddle. It'll be a mystery. It'll be like, what? 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 I don't understand that. I don't get that. That doesn't make sense to me. That doesn't seem right. I don't see how that would work. That seems silly to me. I think that's... See? The things of God are foolishness to him that believes not. All right? For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding, so we must be pursuing him. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. 
guarding the paths of justice. He preserves the way of his godly ones. Look at the result of it. Guarding the paths of justice preserves the way of his godly ones. Then you will discern righteousness and justice. And equity and every good course, for wisdom will enter your heart. I'm going to make some comments on this in just a moment. Wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul, no longer head. Well, I got this wisdom up here. If this happens, then you should do this. If this happens, then do this. If this happens, then do that. I've been taught that. See, like a sales thing. You learn, you, you go through this little sales presentation, and then if the prospect says this, you say, objection number one, here's what you say. Objection number two, here's what you say. Objection number three, here's what you say. But it's not in your heart, it's in your head. See? Now the wisdom of God be like that, the word of God. Oh, yes, if this happens, do this. If this happens, do this. If this happens, do that. It's all in the head. But the minute the pressure of the sunlight hits, you say, oh, man, that isn't working out the way I thought, and I'm getting out of here. A man told me years ago, came to me and said, Okay, Durkin, he said, I've heard you preaching on tithing, and he said, I'm going to start tithing. And he said, I only made $10 this week, so I'm going to give you $1, and we'll see what happens. And next week he came back, and he said, oh, oh, oh. he said, did I have a week this week? He said, I went out and went to the junkyard, and he'd get some things out there, and some cars and batteries and so forth and so on, down auto junkyard. And he said, man, we're nice, and I made 100 this week. He said, Reverend, here's your $10. I can hardly wait till next week. I said, sir... It really isn't going to work that way. See, you're thinking next week I'm going to get a thousand, then I'm going to get ten thousand, then I'm going to get. It isn't going to work that way. There's more wisdom that you need to grasp. Oh man, I got it. here's your ten. Next week you come back and said didn't work. I'm not going to do it. See, three weeks it was all over. He had no understanding. He just had shrewdness. He was going to try something. If it worked, terrific. If it didn't, he didn't understand. God's wisdom takes a period of time to work out and produces fruit. Like a seed planted springs up, but it's only, you can't eat it then. A little bit more, you can't eat it, you can't eat it. It must take the six or eight or nine months, or in the case of a tree, it must take 30 or 40 years of the case. Whatever the plant is, you must give it that time to come to fruit. He didn't understand that. Many of God's people don't. So I want to lay down these things that I've said. We're to seek wisdom as silver. That's our attitude. Then we will discern the fear of the Lord if we do. We will discover the knowledge of God. We will receive wisdom. It will enter into our heart. We will discern righteousness, justice, equity, and every good course. We'll always know which road to take. I wonder what I should do. I wonder what I should do. You'll always know what to do. A little confusion at first, but then you oh God. Got it. Thank you, Lord. See? Wisdom will enter your heart, not just your head. I said, head wisdom is shrewdness like Satan. It will destroy itself as he will destroy himself. All right, Proverbs 3rd chapter, verses 13 to 18. How blessed is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. See, again, by that proper attitude. For the prophet is better than the prophet of silver, and it's gained than fine gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire compares with her. Now, what do you desire in life? Tell me. You're most... Oh, if I could only have that. Oh, if I could only do that. If I could only be that. If I could only go there. If I could only... All those things may be good. But nothing you desire in this life compares with God's wisdom. See, that can be understood and say, That's right, O Lord. Never mind those other things. Nonsense. If you want me to have it, okay... But what I'm going to pursue is your wisdom 
and your understanding and your knowledge and to understand the fear of God. That's what I will pursue. And nothing you desire compares with her. Long life is in her right hand, and in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her, and happy are all who hold her fast. Now I'd like you to look at verses 21 through 26. My son, let them not depart from your sight. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, so they will be life to your soul and adornment to your neck. Then you will walk in your way securely. That's why I told people, God's people don't have to worry about depression coming here enough. Some period of time out here in the future, not very far. Maybe less than a year, I don't know. So then you'll walk your way securely. You won't stumble. Okay? Some people say, oh, if a depression came, what would happen? Well, if you have the wisdom of God working in your life, I'll tell you what will happen. Nothing will happen. You'll go right on walking your way securely. See, when times are like, oh, they're boom times. Now we can live well. The man of God that is walking as he should be in God will live well then, and he'll live well later. Because he will walk in his way securely. Your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. Oh, I wonder if I'll lose my job in the morning. I wonder if all my money will be gone. The banks will collapse. I wonder if... You will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden fear, nor of the onslaught of the wicked when it comes. What if the Russians come over here, atom bombs and hydrogen bombs? And... Man, I get these newsletters sometimes and says, please buy our newsletter. You need this in order to keep you. And it tells me to go out in the woods and get a house and bury it underground and machine guns and gold and silver and cattle under there and whatever else. And the, then if I see the wicked coming up, I get up and shoot them down and then finally when it's all over I get to come out and I've got my cattle to start a new herd with my wheat to plant seeds and my gold to begin and I start what oh Lord deliver us from such insanity see nor of the onslaught of the wicked when it comes you won't fear that for the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught Proverbs 4 4 to 9 and he taught me and said to me let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. Acquire wisdom. In other words, go at it to acquire it. Just like a person, some people say, I'm going to go out and I'm going to make a million. Or I'm going to go out and I'm going to get an education. Or I'm going to go out and I'm going to learn and I'm going to become a doctor. I'm going to go out and I'm going to get me a degree and I'm going to be a teacher. I'm... All that may have its place. But it says, with all you're getting, get understanding. Acquire wisdom. Acquire understanding. Do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her. She will guard you. Love her. She will watch over you. The beginning of wisdom is acquire wisdom. In other words, to set your heart toward it. What is the wisest thing a man can ever do in this world when he's simple? The wisest thing he can ever do when he's simple is to say, Lord, I want your wisdom, and I will pay any price to get that wisdom. Now, when a man does that, he says that's the beginning of wisdom. Now, for the first time, the man has turned in the right direction. Here he is. Where's wisdom? I think it's here. I'll check it out here. What do you say I should do here? Maybe you can give me some word here. God, I want your wisdom. He says, now you've turned in the right direction. Walk that path, and God will give you wisdom. The beginning of wisdom is acquire wisdom, and with all of your acquiring, get understanding. Prize her, and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. Talks like, like courting a girl. Prize her, honor her, admire her. 
She will place on your head a garland of grace. She will present you with a crown of beauty. Hear my son and accept my sayings. And the years of your life will be many. I have directed you in the way of wisdom. I have led you in the upright paths. When you walk, your steps will not be impeded. And if you run, you will not stumble. Take hold of instruction. Do not let it go. Guard her, for she is your life. In verses 20 through 27, my son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart. For they are life to those who find them, indicating some do not. As a matter of fact, I'll tell you that many do not. Health to all their whole body. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you a deceitful mouth. I've seen Christians that haven't learned to stop deceiving. They say, oh no, I didn't do that. Oh no, you, you, you misunderstand. It wasn't me, it was him. Oh there, I, I. Put away from you a deceitful mouth. It'll finish you off sooner or later. Put devious lips far from you. Let your eyes look directly ahead. Let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you toward the goal God's given you. Watch the path of your feet. Don't let them get off the road. And all your ways will be established. Do not turn from the right or to the left. Turn your foot from evil. Now, I want to stop here for today. Next week, I want to continue with this subject. I'm going to follow this line of why to the simple... The Word of God is a puzzle, because it is. Or why a wise man can say something that, believe me, can turn your life around and set you on a tremendous course for good. And why some person will look at it and say, ugh, when it's the very thing that would transform every aspect of their lives. But they see it as nothing, because their mind doesn't understand. See, how do you understand? It says, pursue it, seek after it. In other words, the heart attitude, oh God, I want to understand. Now, I want to say to you this morning, every son and daughter of God in this building has all of those things in abundance if they will take hold of what I've said this morning. If your heart searches out that wisdom, you have the wisdom, you have the knowledge, you have the understanding, and you have the resources. For the gold and the silver and the cattle on a thousand hills is all God's. And believe me, if you apply wisdom to your life, an understanding to your life, and knowledge to your life, whatever you need of that gold or silver or cattle will be transferred to you to carry out his work. Whatever knowledge you need, it will come your way. Whatever wisdom you need, it will be given to you by God. Whatever understanding you have to have, your eyes will be opened if you cry out for that wisdom because you want to do that thing. But if you let fear take over, or unbelief take over, say, oh man, I, could, I, I just don't know what to do, I, I can't do it, oh wow, I'm not going to get my dream again. Then I wish to say to you, you will make the decision that will destroy your own dreams. See, years ago, I had the same speech patterns that I'm saying to you here now. Oh, it isn't going to happen, nothing ever happened good to me. I used to think God hated me, He really didn't love me. That God didn't really want to work through me and wouldn't work through me. Nothing good ever happened to me. Other people, that they see God did these things for them. He answered all their prayers, didn't answer mine. And then one day, it came to me that God yearned to answer my prayers and give me my dreams as much as he did anybody else. And there was no person that God didn't intend to have their dreams fulfilled. But I was doing it to myself. And then I turned. And from the time that I turned, I began to see the fulfillment of those dreams. All right, let's bow our heads in a word of prayer.